This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week, and I have to say, this is one of the conversations I've been looking forward to all week, and we've talked to some big names and fewer bigger in the world of venture capital and the world of tech in Silicon Valley than Joe Lonsdale. He's a partner now at 8VC, a co-founder of Palantir, joins us on the phone from Palo Alto, California. Joe, it's really nice to have you here with Carol and myself. Thanks, Jason, for having me on. All right. So you're there in the hotbed of innovation, and you look at things from all angles. I got to start by asking you, how did we get here? What went wrong that we misjudged this or or just sort of misplayed it, as it were? You know, these, 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 these things are hard. I'm inspired by a lot of what I'm seeing coming out of the entrepreneurship and business world. I'm, I'm somewhat disheartened by seeing how our government works. One of my friends, Bob Nelson, told me end of January, Joe, there's a 60% chance this is a pandemic. You know, he's a great bio investor. He talks to people in China and here. And so the, the, the experts really knew this was coming late January, start of February. And, you know, I, I've been trying to look at the government pandemic response. There's about 18 plans we've made over the last 20 years. There's hundreds of pages of unreadable PDFs. It, it's clear our federal government is a giant kleptocracy that doesn't really know how to function with these sorts of things. Okay, so that's fair enough. Um, so what needs to change? Well, you know, I think, number one, you need, you need competent leaders who've already gained these things ahead of time. I think there's, there's plans and there's actually... <laughs> practicing ahead of time and doing doing gamification and really following up on what you learn. And so no matter what five-year plans, 10-year plans you make, I think they should actually run some simulations. Now, unfortunately, this is a real-world simulation. We're going to learn a lot. There should be one group in charge. There should be accountability. Uh, you know, the FDA is not set up to make decisions quickly. We need a special group at the FDA that has to make decisions much more quickly. I mean, there's still tests sitting at home on shelves right now, hundreds of thousands of tests in these labs for at-home testing, and it it's, you know, drives me crazy how slow these things are going. And to be fair, I mean, there were administrations on both sides of the aisle that some would say, you know, that we've ignored this kind of situation. I think part of the problem, though, Joe, is we don't do a lot of long-term planning, certainly not um, in this government. Well, it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, I think Congress passed the Pandemic and All Hazards Preparedness and Advancing Innovation Act of 2019, six months ago. So there was a Pandemic Act six months ago that was passed. There, there are literally hundreds of pages of planning sitting in PDFs and bureaucracies with acronyms that I, I don't know how to play the alphabet soup game in Washington, D.C., but there's hundreds of these acronyms. And, and so, so it's funny because some people are doing the planning, but it's clear it's not tied to leadership and accountability in terms of how you actually get these things done. You know, Joe, one of the things that's been interesting to us, I think, watching all of this, and you've had a front row seat, I believe, there in California to this, is, you know, governors really stepping to the fore. You know, you think about Gavin Newsom, you think about Mario Cuomo, you think about some other governors who've really uh, stepped in pretty aggressively here, taking the bull by the horns, however you want to describe it. What do you make of that, sort of this being handled at a state level? Is that what needed to happen? Is that what should happen going forward? What's the sort of federal versus state versus local uh, approach here? Well, that's a, that's a great question. You, you do have different situations on the ground locally. I think federalism is one of the great things about how our country works, and, and, you, and you have had governors step up. You know what I was really impressed by is the big technology companies here in Silicon Valley. A lot of them stepped up even a week, two weeks ahead of the governor, had people working from home. Yeah. And my firm only worked, only worked from home because we learned that from some of the bigger firms where, where the people there figured it out ahead of time, and, and that, that was really awesome to see. 
So let's talk about Silicon Valley. Um, you know, we often look to you guys for innovation, and rightly so, uh, across all sorts of aspects of, of technology and, and life, and et cetera. What have you seen on the ground? Take us deeper in there. Sure. Well, you know, I'm really proud of a lot of what I'm seeing here. You're seeing the kind of classic innovation, entrepreneurial energy really step up. You have, you know, one of the things I was most inspired by is an engineer at Bloom Energy figured out with his team how to fix these ventilators that were broken that were sent to Los Angeles. They're supposed to take a month to fix for the manufacturer. They fixed them in days, but the governor sent them back over. And you're seeing a lot of things like that where people are working hard to get supplies. My, you know, my team and a bunch of my friends started OperationMasks.org, which has brought over a million, oh, sorry, over a billion masks into the country in the last month, partnering with FEMA and with logistics groups all over the world. So you're, you're seeing a lot of people step up and use their networks, use their innovation to really help out here. And why are they able to do that? I mean, why? I, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm taking you into sort of the ethos of Silicon Valley here, but you know, sure. why does it happen there in, in a way or and at a velocity maybe that it doesn't happen elsewhere? Well, you know, most people what they do for a living is what they do for a living. In Silicon Valley, what you do for a living is we build new companies, we create new organizations, we we reach out to people all over the world to get feedback and help every time we're creating something new. My team launches two to three new companies a year so that these guys who are used to launching companies, they got on the phone with their logistics contacts in China and Mexico in Brazil with people who run these companies. They got on the phone with our friends who are very wealthy and successful over there and know who the manufacturers are. And we started making phone calls, started sourcing things. And, and, and you know, there's these global networks that exist that are tied to the heart of Silicon Valley, to the entrepreneurial part of our country where we're able to get things done quickly. Joe, what, what access has you know either you and your company or other members of Silicon Valley really had to the administration in helping to deal with this virus? You know, they've, they've, they've reached out somewhat. I wouldn't say they have very good connections in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I'm friends with a lot of the policy people there. A lot of my friends who are on the boards of Stanford Hospital, UCSF Hospital, um, as you'd guess, they're very skeptical of the Trump administration. I've been able to put some of them together, and they've had some really good conversations. As, as much as they're still skeptical of the Trump administration, a lot of them have really appreciated working with the people in the White House to, to coordinate various supplies or to help with technology right now. I think we're still trying to solve a lot of problems at the White House right now about how people are going to get back to work. And, you know, there's, there's a role for us to play out here. And, Joe, one of the interesting elements of all this is – something that's not new at all you know it goes back to the last century which is the defense production act and sort of it being invoked not being invoked it feels like there's misunderstanding even in the administration about what it should do what it can do what's your read on yeah. that and and how that interaction should take place between the government and private industry you know i think if it gets to a point where the industry is not cooperating for some reason it makes sense to invoke it i think the best way to work with people just from what i've found out over the years the way authority really works well is you is you is you inspire them and you give them the goals and you make sure they're 100 percent aligned and if they are uh you don't really need force if anything force gets in the way at that point so i think the mistake though that was made is they should have had a very clear incentive they should have said the government's willing to pay this much for working ventilator this much per mask and coordinate it and just and just start getting people to be confident to invest in building these four or five six weeks ago because when you put out the call to everyone, there's a lot of people bottom up who will do things. I think it's a mistake to only work with the big companies, which has really been what they've been doing. is mostly focusing on the on that right, but, with the big companies. Right, but it's about leadership and being very clear about what's going on um, to create exactly. to be able to create programs so that everybody understands what's going on. We're going to come back and talk with uh, some more with Joe Lonsdale. He's partner at eight. 
uh, VC co-founder of Palantir on the phone from Oakland, California. So we'll continue that in just a moment, Jason. Yeah, it really interesting to hear uh, all those perspectives and, you know, really going down a level and understanding kind of how Silicon Valley works uh, yeah. in a lot of ways. I think we know it intuitively, but hearing him explain it so uh, specifically about picking up the phone and calling and also right. moving with that sense of urgency that I feel like obviously we certainly need right now and was missing uh, at the beginning. Also understanding, you know, where this started. And still with us, Joe Lonsdale, partner at 8VC, co-founder of Palantir and a number of other companies. We're going to get into some of that as we continue our conversation. He's joining us on the phone from Palo Alto right smack in the middle of Silicon Valley. Joe, great to have you still with us. So I got to ask you, you have started a bunch of companies, you invest in companies, you mentioned in the earlier part of the yep. conversation, you know, standing up two to three companies a year. This is a time, obviously, of a lot of uncertainty, but it's got to be at least in part a time of opportunity to think about what's next. What are you thinking about now? You know, there's, there's a lot of areas that we're working on that happen to overlap with this. The one I'm most excited about is, you know, there's a renaissance in biology going on out here in Silicon Valley. And we happened to start a company last year with some technology out of Cornell and Northwestern University that helps produce antibodies really quickly. And there's technology that lets you do it in a cell-free way. And you've probably heard people who recovered from COVID-19, there's antibodies in their blood that would cure other people. And we could actually use blood from those people to cure people. There's not enough of it around. But what you can do is you could take these antibodies and produce them and scale them up. So this company is partnering with other antibody companies. We're trying to rush this therapeutic to market hoping to test it in the next month or two. So that, that's a really cool example of something going on out here. Maybe maybe can contribute. Yeah, that's actually something we've been talking about a lot this week. There's a team up at Columbia University working on this. Um, there's several groups and thinking that this is a key step in kind of getting the virus under control. I do feel like biotech in particular, this whole world of medicine, there's just so much. We talk about disruption. We throw around the world casually. But there is so much still in medicine and science, Joe, that has yet to be figured out. It's a, it's a real bright spot in our civilization because, you know, there's always big breakthroughs. Jennifer Dowden out here at Berkeley helped discover CRISPR, you know, just eight years mm -hmm. ago. All these things that used to be really slow and six months of work in a lab, you can now do in a day and test and learn. So, the, yeah, the pace of learning is so fast. And I really hope a lot of this is going to be applied to what's going on right now. There's a lot of promising cures, a lot of promising vaccines, you know, but this is what we really need to help here. And Joe, you know, it brings me to something that we've talked with a, a bunch of those aforementioned researchers about, including down at Johns Hopkins as well, this notion that because of the sense of urgency, maybe folks are maybe a little more willing to let their guard down, collaborate a little bit more. Are you seeing that or is that a little Pollyanna-ish of me to think? Definitely. Maybe about three weeks ago now, I put something up on Twitter about how this company could help partner with other companies for antibiotic therapeutics and said, here's the help we need. And I must have gotten 120 notes from people, mostly in Silicon Valley, saying, I have the best expert on this. I have the best expert on that. And it's just been really awesome to see people get together and collaborate. And it's, it's made it go a lot faster than it ever would have. So it's a, I, you know, I definitely think the spirit of America is we all get together and we work on these problems together when we need to. Joe, does it slow down, though, after we get on the other side? I asked that because I mentioned that team up at Columbia uh, who, back during SARS, they said they needed like about $20 million, not a lot of money in terms of research money, and they could have figured out how to deal with that virus. But they said after it was dealt with, after the kind of the hysteria calmed down, nobody was interested in committing money to it. Does that happen when we get on the other side of this, or has something dramatically changed because of the extent of this virus? I mean, I'd hope I'd hope that this changes. You know, it, it, it's a great question. The, 
if you go back to the pandemic plans we were talking about, the government had a bunch of ventilators they were supposed to produce. And, and the way the contracting was done is they just never got them done. It was, you can blame the company, you can blame the government. But really what it was is a lack of focus, a lack of competent people who cared enough to follow up. I, I don't think you're going to see that this time around. I think people are going to really care to be on top of this for next time. You know, Joe, one of the questions we've been asking all of our big, big guests uh, this week across our network, across the entire Bloomberg News empire is what changes on the other side of this in the world? Like literally just think as big as you possibly can. Maybe that's being underappreciated here. It is literally something I know you, you've got to be thinking about. What do you make of that? You know, the thing, the thing I'm thinking a lot about is how the nature of work and hiring changes. I think a lot of people are being forced to use these tools that have been created to work from home for the first time, and they're realizing that works. I think, I think this is bearish commercial real estate. That's the obvious one. The other one, though, that I'm a little curious about is does this change how we hire around the world? Um, unfortunately, it probably pushes outsourcing a lot more for certain types of jobs in the U.S. as well because you can hire someone just as well uh, who doesn't have to necessarily live in your town. So in some ways, it's positive for the world, more dynamic economy. In other ways, it could be another pressure on the middle class, which, is, which I'm a little bit worried about. Well, and I do wonder about that, if we can go a little bit deeper on that, because we we are also sort of seeing inequality, which we knew existed, maybe even more starkly than, than we did before. Do, do you think this causes action on that, or does it further exacerbate before it gets better? You know, I, 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 I agree that we're definitely seeing inequality of, of how people are, are being able to weather this or not. To me, the biggest causes of inequality that's really salient here in the Bay Area is cost of living, whether or not you want to say it's education, health care, or just even rent and to live around here in these high-growth areas. I, I really hope it gets us to focus on cost of living and to you know, make the obvious reforms to fix these things, to, to allow more building in the Bay Area and in other areas like this to, to really figure it out in healthcare and education. So I, I would hope this gets us focus on those issues. These are issues that are all long overdue and being tackled. Hopefully there's, there's positive some ways to go after them. So got to ask you, just to wrap up here, um, Joe, how does our world change as a result of the coronavirus pandemic? Well, you know, my, my biggest hope is that, is that a year from now we've confronted it and we're ready for anything like this next time. And we're, and we're addressing some of these issues around cost of living. We're addressing some of these, some of these issues around, around you know, people dying from the flu in general and viruses in general in open areas, which I think we're all going to be going after right now. So hopefully, hopefully it brings our society closer together, gets us to recognize some of what the great people can do in the technology and innovation world to help and let us solve challenges. That would be the optimistic take. And can I ask you, wait, 30 seconds, what, what will be different? Well, you know, I think there's going to be, a, I think, I think there's going to be some industries that are really going to struggle for a long time. I think people realize they don't need to be on planes all the time. Yeah. I think people realize mm-hmm. that they don't need to rent out, you know, as many of these big commercial, giant commercial real estate areas. Um, it, could, it could mean construction and other industries are going to, are going to have a little bit of a tougher time for the next five or 10 years. Um, so it's, it's, there's definitely going to be big, big, big changes in the economy. All right. Well, we really appreciate your time here on a Friday afternoon. Joe Lonsdale, partner at 8VC, co-founder of Palantir and a number of other companies you have heard of and used. Watch this space because these are the folks who you really want to keep an eye on as things evolve. And the the fast twitch of Silicon Valley, it is coming to the fore here for sure, uh, Carol. And, you know, 
Well, so candidly. thoughtful. So thoughtful. Well, and also hearing him talk about the antibodies thing, having heard it, you know, from a How couple doctors. How many times right? Uh, that is really, really interesting to me. And uh, you do wonder if that's the accelerant that we need. And especially if we continue to get viruses uh, of this magnitude, um, this yeah. is a way to deal with them going forward.